0: Namutasa tasa bhagavato arahato sama sambuddhasa. Namu bhagavato arahato sama sambuddhasa. Namu bhagavato arahato. Sama Sambudasa Buddang Sangam Namasami. I thought tonight I would talk about why I chose the title Sati Saraniya Hermitage. So mindfulness is sati, the looking, looking and seeing with wisdom and a whole cluster of qualities, remembering to look and see, let go, with wisdom, with clarity, with vigilance, with appropriate attention, and so forth. And saraniya also means remembering, remembering and bearing in mind. But the saraniya that I had in my mind when I chose this word, saraniya. And saraniya comes from the word sarana. Sarana means refuge. The place of shelter, safety, protection. Saraniya means conciliation. And there are certain factors described as saraniya dhammas. And these are dhammas of conciliation. They're qualities that lead to harmony, to friendship, to goodwill, to supportive conditions for community. And these saraniya dhammas were expounded by the Blessed One as qualities that we can develop, not just as monastics in the monastery, but as spiritual seekers, who happen to, if we live a household life and we have a, a community in our home, or friends living together, or staff working together, especially in conditions under pressure. So the Sarniya Dhammas are supports, ways that we can train our minds. So that when we are in situations with other human beings who we think are the cause of our suffering, then we can remember these qualities and try to develop them within us. And these qualities are important also for us individually to develop internally in our practice when we have a chorus going on in the mind of voices. And it's a chorus of sometimes very unfriendly voices, telling us that we're not good and telling us to do unwholesome things or dragging us away from, from the path, trying to hinder our progress. So the saraniya dhammas help us to find companionship in that which is a, a true spiritual ally. Whether it's a human being in, in the household or in the monastery, or whether it's uh, something within us in our own conditioning. We have to find the conciliation or reconciliation with those things that are not pleasant or that challenge us or throw us off balance qualities that have a universal application. They're very important for whatever kind of path we walk. The human journey is always going to be fraught. There's nowhere that we can run to where we will find perfection on the outside. Essentially, the, the reconciliation has to happen here in the heart. And when it happens in the heart, then we can extend it. We become, we, we grow into that which extends reconciliation to others, or extends true spiritual friendship to others. So rather than asking or demanding something from the world or from the people we live with, like, be nice to me, or be kind, or be behave, or fulfill my expectations we reconcile ourselves to the conditions whatever they are so the first three are loving kindness in speech and action like physical action or verbal action verbal acts like what we say and how we treat each other how we treat ourselves, what we say to ourselves. And so, these two activities come from nothing less than our intention. And intention is a mental activity. So if, if we develop and train our minds in wholesome intention, wholesome mental states, through right view and right intentional, or right volitional action, then we have a greater propensity to act and speak with loving-kindness, motivated by that which is ethically pure and whole and sound and upright. So those are the first three. So the saraniyas that enable us to live in a group at home or at work When there's a problem or a conflict, and we're able to reflect and bring up wholesome states through developing loving-kindness intentionally in our minds, instead of looking at people critically and with expectations or demands or judgments or assumptions, we try to rest in that quality of loving-kindness and compassion knowing that generally human beings don't act in evil ways or mean ways or violent ways unless they're ignorant or unless they're suffering. So as hard as it might be to remember to try to bring up these qualities of metta or karuna, and if we can't, to bring up the quality of forgiveness or understanding, then as much as we can do that, there is a chance that we will not contribute to the conflict. If there's an argument, if we can just take a deep breath and remember that, what was that saraniya, dhamma, that we can bring up in the heart? It's that factor of this is really unpleasant, but can I forgive? Or can I bear goodwill towards this human being who wants happiness and peace just like me, but is not not peaceful, not happy? But can we not contribute to that? Even if it's for one moment, one moment will condition another moment. Instead of just reacting in our familiar ways, this is really a, a plausible and effective way and means, a upaya, its skillful way to undercut, undermine Mara coming towards us in the guise of someone else's unskillfulness. So not to add to that. And then if we can keep a rigorous meticulous, diligent level of precepts. This is something that will help to restrain us from lashing out, breaking the precept around speech, very, very important for us as human beings. Or even silently having a whole litany of abuse in the mind or even a protest, how dare they talk to me like that. But to somehow short circuit that by restraining our intention as well, our mental state, like not to bear an ill wind in our mind. Because an ill wind will bring out an ill begotten word and maybe even an unsavory or cruel act Now this doesn't happen easily, but at least if we determine to keep precepts, these are a true protection for us. And as monastics, we have a very strong determination to bear our vows in mind constantly. It is the heart and core of our training. And regularly we review our vows, recite our vows, confess any even minor infringement of our vows to each other so that we can immediately repair the moral fabric of the heart. So that our purity is not tainted. Otherwise, it is impossible for us to receive the kindness and support that lay people bring. How can we possibly eat the alms food if we're not keeping our precepts. To hold our moral fabric intact is to want reconciliation to be upheld. And the whole point of practicing Dhamma is to uphold purity. Precepts is the ground, the the groundwork, the basis, the foundation. It's actually dana sila, how we act, speak, and even think. This precious relationship of dana-sila, a joyful offering of our energy for this path. And the riches come through guarding our virtue. Guarding and cultivating our virtue gives an immediate protection. Even in the most unsavory, unwholesome situation, we can bring to that our virtue. All of us, whether we're in robes or not. Wearing the robe and shaving our heads is not enough. We have to be vow keepers. Vinaya is that which burns up defilements, and it's a process of purification. It doesn't happen just by wishing it. It happens by enacting it through reconciliation. The reconciliation means that we reconcile ourselves through forgiveness, through understanding, through kindness, through compassion. We bring back, we bring towards every situation something which upholds, friendship with what is noble. But we can only do that if we're sincere and earnest in our aspiration. If we're sloppy and careless, not heedful, then that burning up of defilements cannot be sustained. And then the fifth saraniya dhamma that helps us to bring about this reconciliation, or this friendship with what is lovely, is the sharing impartially, equally, with our companions, with our family, with our friends, with each other. In the monastery, whatever we receive, we share it, not according to who we like, or keeping things from people we don't like, but, equally sharing all our requisites. Anyone who comes to the monastery, whatever we have or whatever food we have, toothpaste, soap, heat, we share it. And we share the suffering too. When we're in the hall and you sit and you feel discouraged or tired or exhausted and you look around and you see somebody sitting Very tall and straight, you feel inspired. And that's a a sharing the energy. So we're constantly, even in our silence, offering to each other the encouragement, like a silent coaching, yes, you can do it. This is Dhamma community that spreads across the world and is interconnected by our aspiration to realize the truth for ourselves. These are precious gifts, the spontaneous acts of offering and giving and sharing time and resources and energy. And then we guard the space here with our intention, with our dedication, with our commitment to follow the schedule we share the, the room, the hall, the light, the air, the insects, the creatures, the sounds, the stillness, and the knowledge, the wisdom that keeps us, energizes us, inspires us to continue. We share all of that. So we are deeply connected in Dhamma, through this experience. We share the teachings. We share them, we taste them, we chew on them. We digest them, we drink them in deeply. And this also, it's like a nourishment. This is our biggest requisite for spiritual life. Consummation of the saraniya dhamma is having similar views. So all of us here understand something about this practice and the benefits of it, or we wouldn't be able to uh, undertake it, pursue it, develop it, commit our energy to it. We understand how to follow the breath. We understand how to live together in trust with integrity, with precepts. We're, we're all on the same page with that. We understand how to guard each other's privacy, how to guard the noble silence. Just like in town, when people share the same views, they, when they go into a shop to buy groceries, they line up, they don't just all rush to the counter at the same time. In the monastery, we have an agreement about our core what, things that we observe above and beyond our established Vinaya rules, certain observances that we follow. And we keep those observances, we don't violate them. And this helps to sustain concord, harmony and peace in our community. And this is based on respect. It's also based on knowing what works and what doesn't work. And sometimes we sit together and review. But we come together in concord and come to an agreement. And we respect what our elders have done. The Theravata tradition is the way of the elders. It's a beautiful way. So acting out of respect and appreciation for what has been done and ways that have been raised up or presented with wisdom and with reflection. So the saraniya dhammas are not a template of perfection but it's a working model for us to pick up and develop. Reconciliation is a training. We don't arrive reconciled, but we develop reconciliation through training the mind not to chew on unwholesome things, and not to believe in them, not to take refuge in them, but to put them aside, dismantle them, feelings of hopelessness, self-judgment, or judging others, the critical mind, feelings of sadness or grief. Reconciliation doesn't come just by thinking ourselves to perfection. We have to, sometimes it's like a battlefield, and we feel like we don't have the weapon. But as soon as we can remember to Look, remembering sati, remembering with mindfulness to know this is doubt, this is not a friend. But faith is a friend, trust is a friend. So when doubt arises, what can we turn our minds towards? We can turn our minds towards our spiritual friends. We can turn away from doubt, turn our minds towards the path, towards the goodness that we've cultivated the virtue of our lives, the aspiration to free ourselves from doubt. How much work we've already done in these last few days. And we've had good moments, moments of freedom. So to recognize the hindrances right then and there, to meet the fear in the heart and not give it another inch, by growing our goodwill, growing our compassion for ourselves, or forgiving the moment for not being able to bring up enough strength, but just touching the heart with that tenderness, that it's okay, we are on the path, we're surrounded by dear, dear friends, kalyanamitas, And we are noble warriors, noble in our intention, noble in our conduct and speech. And now we're clearing the mind of dangerous forces. And even if we can clear for one second, like for just an act of goodwill, such as forgiving the voices of delusion, which are you're hopeless, you can't do it, then that's a moment of adding space in the heart, making space. These imposters, the maras of greed, hatred, and delusion have been taking up our hearts for how many years? And we have a chance to empty the rubbish, to put out the rubbish, bit by bit. After years of habit, it's very difficult to take it all out at once because we've got a big collection. It might be condensed and heavy, but we just keep sharpening our tools, knowing each hindrance as it arises and bringing up these saraniya dhammas, to befriend what is skillful, turning the mind away from what harms us and setting up that protection in the heart, making space for the beautifying qualities of forgiveness for whatever we've done, this moment forgiven. The Vinaya is really grounded in forgiveness. We're not perfect. We have hundreds of precepts to follow. And some of them are really for protection. And then there are many other rules which seem like conventions. But they are trainings in mindfulness. So sometimes we break them. And as soon as we break them, we voluntarily acknowledge in our hearts, and then twice a month we confess. And it is our duty to forgive each other. This is the ground of our purification, is to forgive each other. So the dhamma is also a way of reaching deeply into our hearts to forgive every note of discord in there every break in our moral fabric or in whatever we feel that we've done that is not wholesome, to forgive that. But then there's so many ways that we offend each other, sometimes not intentionally, sometimes just poor mental habits, and to continually come back to that reconciliation through forgiveness, Loving-kindness and compassion. What happens when things are stubborn and they don't go away? We, we have to also persevere and remember that the path is exceedingly long, but we only need to keep going for one more breath. One more breath we can do. That's not hard. One more breath, one more moment, one more glance at the face of a dearly loved one. Forty or so years ago, I was walking in the Himalayas and I got snowed in with my companion on a pass and we couldn't find our way in the dark and it was freezing cold and I thought, I can't, I just can't walk anymore. My feet felt frozen. And I sank into the snow. And I thought, this is it, you know, I'm, I'm a goner. And my companion said, come on, get up. You've got to keep going. You can't stop or you'll die. But I just couldn't get up. So I sank into the snow. And as this was happening, the face of my mother came up in my mind and I saw the image of her hearing the news that your daughter died on a mountain in the Himalayas. Sorry. And I thought, I can't let that happen. No way. Can't let that happen. And something rose up inside me. Come on, get up. Get up. I couldn't, couldn't get up. So with that sight of my mum, in my mind, this being that I loved so much. She was my dearest friend and a real inspiration in my life. I crawled all night in the snow until I got off that mountain. And in the dawn light, we found a field where there was a farmhouse and the villagers there found us lying in the field the next morning, and, and saved our lives. And then told us the stories of how many Westerners had died on that mountain. <laughs> and I thought, thank goodness it wasn't me. But it was my mom, remembering what we love, to be able to remember the being that is precious to us. And remember the Dhamma, or I remember the Buddha, I remember my companions, I look at them. If I'm failing, if I feel exhausted, I, I feel too tired, and I remember those that are with me, working, I remember my teachers, my elders, my parents, even though they're gone, I bring up the things in my heart that I can then use to pull out of myself some kind of energy. We don't even know what a reservoir of strength there is in us. But if we believe our thinking minds, then nothing will come up. Because thoughts are frail and poor. There are not big riches in the chattering thoughts of the mind, in those old editorial commentaries that we've rehearsed forever. They haven't got much to offer. It's the same old, same old. But when we can touch the deepest reservoir of the heart and pull out from there, from that place of highest, deepest, most profound connection to what we love, to those we love and cherish, that will give us the strength. How do volunteer firefighters jump into a burning building and save some stranger from death at the risk of their own lives. That we can do. But we have to rouse ourselves. And these factors of reconciliation help remind us, if we can remember them, how to rouse ourselves. Not through some formula, Metta, Karuna, body, speech, and mind, but you're no good, you know. And then all those voices come back. That useless litany of hollow sounds that we've been playing and replaying, throw out those tapes and chant. Make one vowel, Dhamma, or God, or love, or whatever word is meaningful to you. And stand up with that. Bring, bring the highest force from within you to bear witness to your deepest aspiration, which is to purify and free the mind from the shackles of the angers and hurts and old demons that we've been replaying and, and enslaved by and imprisoned by forever. We just need to open the window a little bit. In the darkness we just need to have one tiny candle. Is enough. That will give us enough light to get free. So in the face of the fear, if we can just stay and stand our ground for one second and know that fear is empty. There's no one who's afraid. This is the remembering the teachings, dhammais. It's anicca, it's dukkha, it's anatta, it's impermanent. Touch it. Where is it? It's just a habit in the mind. And we can bring this new force to bear it. It's a force of great unconditional acceptance, like it's not, yes, come in fear, but it's, I'm bigger than you, not I, but this heart is bigger than that, much bigger. It's unconditional loving kindness, compassion, and eventually maturing to equanimity. Because if we can ride the waves of fear, eventually they subside. Because they are empty. It's just our habits that keep them crashing against the best in us. So we raise it up and protect ourselves in that way, using our mindful, Wisdom, our discernment, to know this is danger. This is peril. This is fire. And then to use the Dhamma Vidya, or energy, which comes from this place of unconditional love and compassion. To brandish the sword of wisdom and cut off the head of every hindrance, gently. Gently. Tenderly <laughs> just like this prince in the suttas that comes and challenges the Buddha about whether or not he's able to speak without anger or speak words that are beneficial at the right time and in, in the right way, and words even if they're disagreeable. and there's certain kind of speech that the Buddha would use that might be hard to hear and unwelcome but he wouldn't use words that are not true or words that are not beneficial or words that are incorrect but even if they are not agreeable he would use them and he gives the example he said if you prince were to have a child on your lap and the child had a stone in its throat or something stuck in its throat what would you do would you let it choke No, you would stick your finger in and pull it out, even if you had to draw blood. So in that way, we have to suffer these discomforts and pains and exertions of the path. It's the suffering that ends the greater suffering. And we can bear it and endure it because... We are strong and resilient and tough, and we've been given supreme tools to use. We can work with resilience, we can work with tireless, unwavering energy and vigilance if we put our minds to it and rid ourselves of all these things that we've been carrying around in our hearts, ancient hurts, ancient bad memories, resentments, fears, judgments, feelings of hopelessness, depressions, darkness, all of it, we can dispel all the darkness and despair, all the grief, sorrow, pain and lamentation. We have the power to do that. But we have to trust and have faith that we can. I don't say this from not having tried. I say this from trying and trying and trying and trying and seeing the way open up mysteriously, sometimes magically, and the faith grows, it deepens, And I'm strengthened, just like I was on that mountain. Because I love the Dhamma so deeply. I give my life to the Dhamma. But I try also to follow the teaching, to keep the instructions in mind. So when there is some force of ill will operating, we don't just sit back and say, oh, metta, metta, we have to know that's ill will and it's, it's hot. And to play with it is very dangerous. So remembering, keeping, bearing in mind something that we love, something that is beautiful in ourselves or in, in someone else. Bringing to mind the qualities of the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha, our teachers, our dearest friends, our mom, our children, and pulling out the rocks and finding the way through the darkness. Some of these forces, of course, they keep recurring, they keep coming back over and over again, and it just takes a radical form of patience. That's the biggest protest that we can make. Stop giving in to the forces of greed, hatred, and delusion by patiently working with the forces of non-greed, non-hatred, and non-delusion. And this happens from within. There isn't necessarily an easy rescue. But whatever it takes, we do it. And whatever arises, we meet that. At one time at Arrow River Monastery, they had a, a bear that used to break into the kitchen and sometimes take food off the counter. It was time to call the animal control. In Ontario, they certainly where we are, if there's a pesty bear around, then you can call the animal control and they'll come and remove it. And so, Ajahn called them to come and remove this bear, and they asked him what the coordinates of the monastery were. So he told them the coordinates, and they said, sorry, that's where we deposit the pesty bears. (laughs) So even if we feel like where we live, or in our minds, The pesky bears are just being deposited (laughs) from everywhere. Everyone is bringing us their bear. We can bear that. As bad as it is, not to be intimidated by the bears. They're more scared of us than we are of them. And to bring in a playfulness and to recognize how many times we've been circling in samsara from ancient, ancient roots. And some of the dukkha that we suffer is indeed ancient. But how long do we want to keep regurgitating it? It's really time to put it down, once and for all. We can't mail it anywhere, or ship it somewhere else. We just have to settle it right here, where we are, moment by moment. And we can. But moment by moment. Not in advance, not, oh, it's such a long path. As long as it is, as long as it takes, there are those that work slowly with a lot of pain, slowly with little pain, quickly with a lot of pain, quickly with little pain. But whatever our particular backpack karmic predicament is, we just work with it. And if it's a lot of pain and a lot of work and it takes a long time, we don't give up. Because there's nothing else to do but this. So I offer that for your reflection tonight.